Hey, this is Mike from You'll Probably Agree. Today I talk with my usual co-host, Ian Simmons from KickingTheSeat.com. And uh, we have a little bit of a fight in the rain between two replicants regarding Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I think it's one of the best films in the last 10 years. And Ian uh, is objectively wrong and thinks that it's just not that good of a movie, nor is it interesting. I'm just kidding. Everyone has the right to their own opinion on film. Except for him, uh, I want to thank Galway Bay. <laughs> I want to thank Galway Bay, our sponsor, uh, located at 500 West Diversity Parkway in Chicago, Illinois. Um, Galway is uh, has been extraordinarily helpful throughout the years. The owner Nolan Patrick Rafferty has uh, let me film in the bar, let me set up lights, you know, let me do my whole show there. And of course, during the pandemic, I haven't been there. But just because I haven't been there doesn't mean that I have not been supporting them. If you go on dualdrinkware.com, which you will find the link in this episode, you could buy various items from them, whether it be t-shirts or certain glasses or you have uh, coasters. You could find them all on Dual Drinkware's page for Galway Bay. Or if you actually want to go into Galway, I was there recently, despite my fear with the pandemic and everything, because that's an establishment that I trust. Although it's a dive bar, it certainly has a very personal touch and feel that really makes you feel like you are uh, someone from the neighborhood rather than just another guy where, you know, they'll call you sir or whatever. I said you know again. That's one thing I'll notice in all my podcasts. I always say like and you know, and it drives me fucking nuts. But having said that, I don't I don't give a shit. I'm going to fucking put it out there anyways, because what am I going to do? Edit out every single like and you know? Can't do that. i got to upload this shit tomorrow. Having said that, please enjoy the episode, and tell me if you agree with me, or if you probably don't agree with me. I think uh, uh, that, fuck, why did I almost say Galway Bay? I think that Blade Runner 2049 really is one of the best films in the last 10 years. Uh, I liked its minimalistic approach that Denis Villeneuve has taken with it. Uh, Ian wanted to see more of it. Um, And we had some fundamental disagreements on it. But that's okay. The thing I love about movies is how subjective it is and how each person gets something totally different out of it. Having said that, please enjoy the episode. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit, it's not my problem. Hey everybody, welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Uh, today, I want to talk about one of my favorite films in the last 10 years and one of uh, not Ian's favorite films, but I promised to approach this like a therapist so I could be as objective as possible uh, and, not, and not be judgy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Perhaps it is I who should be judging you, sir. Yeah, well, well, yeah, that's, well, the beauty of film is that it's subjective, or is it? I don't know. Uh, when it comes to Michael Bay, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> and actually, yeah, you can, you, yeah, anyways, <laughs> we're talking about Blade Runner 2049, um, a movie that I think, and this is a bold statement, 
is superior to the original in almost every way. And uh, we'll get a little into that. Uh, a movie that is horrifyingly relevant today. And a movie that, uh, Ian, why, why don't you like such a good film? It, are you okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I, the thing is, I watched it. I just finished watching it about 20 minutes ago, uh, sort of like on, on the, uh, the ratchet conversation that we had uh, a few days back by the time this airs. Um, I finished just in time to record, but I've actually had some sleep. Uh, so this will be, a, I'll be a bit more coherent on your podcast than on my own. Uh, so you get the benefit of that at least. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out about an hour into this and I was just watching on my laptop. I'd seen it on the big, big screen when it came out three years ago. Mm. I was like, why didn't I like this movie? Cause I, I, I got into it today. Um, and I was thinking, well, maybe it's because it was one of those things where it was a critic screening that was at like seven or eight o'clock or something like that. The movie is almost three hours long. So it could have just been that I was, you know, damn tired after a long work day and then going to a press screening. And then, you know, at about the halfway point, maybe the two hour mark, I got that sinking feeling. I'm like, oh, this is why I don't like this movie. Um, it is, it's, uh, you know, Denis Villeneuve uh, is great at setting a mood and creating this wonderful world. Uh, it's just that in this particular case, I think he's lousy with the characters. Um, and, you know, part of that is, I'm sure, intentional, uh, but it's very hard to, I think, build a story around people who are essentially all robots or robot-like and have it resonate. Um, so that, that's my big problem is like, it's, it's visually, it's great, but I think it wears out its welcome and like narratively, it's kind of a dud. Uh, I, I think, and I haven't seen the original Blade Runner in, you know, a few years, but, uh, I think it, I don't think it needed a sequel. I think it stands pretty solidly on its own. Um, it's not a perfect film, uh, but I think part of that is because of some of the mysteries that the filmmakers were trying to leave out there for the audience to figure out. And this movie answers some of those questions, and I think it's kind of a detriment that it does. <laughs> so that's my that's my opening statement. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it certainly does create a mood, and when it and filmmaking really is about creating a mood, creating a theme. It doesn't seem empty to me. I think a lot of that, uh, a lot of the themes that. I felt were lacking in the original. Now, here's the thing: uh, were you are were you a fan of the original film? Um, yeah, I mean, we just kind of I just kind of mentioned that I, I liked it. I think it was, and again, I haven't seen it in a while, so mostly what I remember of that movie is the atmosphere, the set design, uh, you know, kind of the the vision of the future that Ridley Scott had in mind. The story, I, you know, I remember it was Harrison Ford playing Deckard, who's a cop who runs down these replicants which are synthetic humans who had revolted uh you kind of gone against their programming and been uh, ordered to be terminated so that was his job was to hunt them down in this futuristic version of la um and he kind of uncovers this movement of uh, replicants who they may be more human than than we thought they're they're not just like slaves they they can actually uh you know feel things and, and have emotions and the big question at the end of that that people wrestled with for you know more than 30 years was uh is deckard in fact a replicant as well um you know we get the answer to that question in blade runner 2049 um i don't know that it's that satisfactory Do but we? Uh, yeah 
Hmm? They don't really tell you if uh, Harrison Ford's a repli- or Deckard's a replicant <clears throat> or not in the sequel. Well, they make a pretty good case for the uh, for the idea that he, if he's not a replicant, then there's even more questions. Uh, and I don't think, I, I think if the movie wants to do itself some favors, they'll just say that he's a he's a person and not a replicant because the. Hmm. I guess the science of replicants, I have some problems with it, the way that it's uh, portrayed in this film, Mm. not only in regards to his character, but also Ryan Gosling and Love, who is sort of the corporate assassin that they send after them. Uh, There's a lot of kind of inconsistent behavior that just doesn't hold up narratively. So, I mean, the last 25 minutes of this, I had the movie on and I was like checking my phone because all of the, all of the visual panache and like forward momentum of the story had just kind of gone out the window and it becomes a a kind of about robots fighting in the rain. And I'm like, (laughs) I get it. I know where they're going. And I remember this and I remember why I just kind of left the theater uh, feeling like an empty robot, uh, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) So that's, that's where I stand. Huh. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think they quite answer because even Denis Villeneuve uh, said, you know, in multiple interviews that he wanted to leave the question regarding uh, Deckard's uh, sort of sort of birth uh, up to, you know, up to questions, because if he answers it and says, yes, he's a human, people are going to be mad. If he answers it and says, yes, they're going to be a replicant, people are going to be mad. So they, you know, they kind of hints i think i know the scene you're talking about i mean it's an old film we can get into spoilers now there's not that big sort of uh screener note that they had uh when the movie came out where they said you can't reveal that officer k is a replicant himself you can't reveal Mm -hmm. the entire plot in the movie basically you know yeah (laughs) so uh thing is like they have that scene where um you have Neander Wallace played uh, by Jared Leto and he's telling Harrison Ford, did you fall in love with Rachel on purpose or was it by design? And there you go. Oh, did they, does that mean he is replicate or not? But then again, he goes, yes, no. As if he's questioning the audience, if they, uh, uh, if he, if he truly is artificial or not. Um, what really? Well, that, I mean, but that that could be also because it's established. I think that Rachel was a replicant because they had mm-hmm. that uh, that kind of serial number on her uh, pelvis uh, when they <laughs> dug up the bones from the you know the the birth when she died in you know childbirth. Mm-hmm. But as far as that in, uh, by design question, that itself is ambiguous because it could be you know, was he programmed to meet her or was he set up uh, by the people who wanted to can do this experiment where he would put, mm-hmm. you know, uh, make a cop fall in love with a synthetic and see if they could actually reproduce. You know, that's that's another way of looking at, uh, you know, was it by design? Yeah. Um, sort of the, the intelligent design idea of, you know, <laughs> putting things into into motion. Um, but no, I'm, I'm talking more about later in the film. Uh, they don't really talk about how... Um, the synthetics degrade, you know, they are artificial people, but as we see Harrison Ford has gotten older in the last mm-hmm. 30 years, wherever since we've seen him. Uh, I don't know if that's the body breaking down, if that's just because they, you know, had an older actor and they didn't want to CGI him. I don't know why he isn't as strong or as capable in this film. He spends the climax of the movie handcuffed in 
a sinking car, which if the displays of power by the other replicants is anything to go by, that shouldn't have been a challenge for him. It just looked like an old human man stuck at the mercy of these two robots, you know, one of them trying to get free so he could, you know, save him from the drowning car. Uh, yeah. So if Deckard was a replicant, then I guess that brings to question the idea of, well, is it, that was the miracle a human replicant birth or was it two replicants being able to reproduce themselves? I mean, I guess those are kind of interesting questions that maybe were left up for a sequel along with that kind of abandoned idea of the replicant uprising, which never went. I mean, that's, that's totally like, Oh, we're, we're going to yeah. save this for the sequel. Uh, and that's fine, I they guess, did. but, <laughs> but you, happen. but you can't just drop that in, in the last 40 minutes and be like, Oh, here's a cool, you know, faction of people who are getting really ready to do something. Maybe you'll see that in three years. Mm. It's not like an end credits teaser. It's just something that was literally felt abandoned hmm. yeah. in favor of, you know, two robots fighting in the rain. That, that that that's a fair that's a fair analysis um you know i did feel the same way about deckard i always uh, i always thought that this guy couldn't be a replicant because even in the first one whenever he had to like directly fight a replicant he would get his ass kicked you know right. when whatever he fought um the 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 one replicant who was the bald guy that you see in the beginning of the film you know, he, he basically, he doesn't even, like, beat him up. He just, like, kind of, like, backhand bitch slaps him a couple times. <laughs> and then he, yeah, and then he just says, wake up, time to die. And then Rachel saves him by shooting the guy. And then <clears throat> when he's fighting Roy uh, later in the film, um, Roy is basically, like, actually saves Deckard's life. And, you know, when it comes to the aging, I mean, we don't know what... Um, we don't know what uh, uh, Sebastian Morton or Sapper Morton, I should say, uh, played by Dave Bautista. Uh, we don't know if he looks younger or not, you know, when he initially found uh, baby Rachel and all that, uh, or Rachel's baby. Uh, but it, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, well, it also, it, I'm saying it, it also gets back to the idea of <clears throat> even if there, we could loop this into sort of the Terminator universe. Yeah. If, replicants if their skin does age as we saw in you know i don't we don't need to talk necessarily about the later terminator sequels but in the original terminator mythology they used rubber skin on the the assassin robots yeah. but it looked too fake so they started these they started harvesting human skin on these farms that they would put over these endoskeletons and so potentially you could have a terminator that starts off looking like 35 year old arnold schwarzenegger and then if he survives for the next you know 30 years on his own he looks like old arnold schwarzenegger but the machinery inside of him is still right off the factory floor. Yeah. So in this case, if you've got Sapper Morton, even if it looks like an older Dave Batista and maybe he looked younger uh, because we did see the model of that like Nexus series eight in that hall, you know, they stopped and they looked at that, that one body that looks exactly like Dave Batista. That's fine. But what does the inner machinery, does that slow down? Does that degrade? I feel like Blade Runner, the original, was about sort of these more esoteric things and not getting into the science of how these creatures actually work. Mm -hmm. In 2049, they're trying to explore the science of, well, could two of these things meld together and create new life? I need to know more about what exactly we're dealing with before I can get invested in that question or even care. Because it just seems really arbitrary. Well, 
I think when it came to making these robots, uh, the, the, the idea in Blade Runner is you really couldn't tell if they were human or not. And mm-hmm. the Terminator, you could tell because, you know, there was obvious signs of them scanning and everything. And the robots themselves wouldn't know if they're human or not. And what really turned me on a Blade Runner is I actually like the fact that the entire cast is basically replicants and that the, the two humans in the films are sort of like the ones who are like the most heartless, you know, of everything, you know, as the, as the term goes, more human than human, which I always wish they attached the white zombie song to it. <laughs> and <laughs> I would have had way too much personality for these movies. Uh, um, and, um, well, so the thing was, when they originally announced Ryan Gosling, you know, mm-hmm. as the lead of this film, and I saw him in all the trailers. I just thought, oh, God, he's going to be so wooden. He's going to be so boring. And you realize, oh, that's intentional. Because I remember when I was watching this in the theaters, I was never, like, a huge fan of the original. I I respected it a great deal on a visual level. Um, when it came to the themes, I was kind of uh, – I wasn't that interested by it because Mm. although it's about these two replicants who are trying to survive and they're lost and they're scared, they're still going around and torturing and murdering a bunch of people like that alone deserves anyone human or robot to be either sent to jail or executed. You know, there's the guy who makes the eyeballs who's in that freezing room. They, tear his jacket wide open, you know, and then they're actually grabbing the eyeballs in front of him to scare him. And presumably they kill him. They uh, presumably uh, kill JF Sebastian after uh, Roy uh, eye gouges, um, you know, the man who makes them Tyrell. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't see like these guys come off like, these villains essentially and in this one they're more sympathetic even love uh who uh is played wonderfully by sylvia uh hoax or hooks uh however you say it uh absolutely phenomenal performance uh even she to a certain extent you see like a little tear drop from her eye whenever she has to kill someone or something like that it's almost like she's designed to do these horrible things but she doesn't want to what makes twenty? 20- well, I mean, but 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 again, I mean, what what sense does that make? I mean, if she was designed to do these terrible things, I, I need to know a bit more about, you know, do these things have souls? Do androids, in fact, dream of electric sheep? Uh, it's just if there's not an explanation. I mean, it's we talked a bit about Michael Bay. You look at the Transformers movies, and they just they're obvious logic questions that the audience is considering, but he just doesn't care and throws it out. And that's one of the reasons that it's easy to tune out from those movies. I had the same problem in Blade Runner 2049. Uh, there's some great kind of corporate espionage exposition uh, that, you know, the opening title cards. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting stuff. But that's about as far as they go is explaining what's going on with these, uh, you know, creatures are calling these, these robots. Uh, You know, I don't understand how you can build something that's a synthetic organism and have it get feelings. Uh, You know, this has been done much better, I think, in 
the Terminator series where if the machine is going to develop a personality or, you know, find sentience, it has to be programmed by a person, you know, kind of getting into the brain and tinkering around or even alien. The idea of those synthetic uh, characters, uh, you know, evolving from simple robots to conniving robots carrying out company orders uh, to robots that actually are being designed with personalities that can have you know, things getting close to emotions, but they're all very consistent in their telling. This movie has a convenience problem that I just couldn't get past. Well, I think they, I mean, look at Officer, I, like uh, like I was going to say in the beginning, what really turned me on this movie is immediately when they reveal in the film, you know, when Dave Bautista says to Officer K, uh, Dave Bautista, when Sapper Morton says to uh, 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 Ryan Gosling's character, who's a protagonist of Officer K, how can you do this to your own kind? You realize that he's replicant. I kind of like lunged forward in my chair. And now all of a sudden, you know, the whole question of, you know, is the protagonist a replicant or a human? They, they, they just tell you right away he's a replicant and it turns everything right on, upside down on its head. And now you're seeing a movie from the perspective of someone who is a replicant and you're seeing someone who's questioning his own mortality because he thinks he is this child that was conceived from Harrison Ford and uh, 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 Sean Young, um, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel. Uh, and now that he thinks that he's special and unique in this world, he tries to figure out his own mortality. And like, they're always doing that baseline test. Right. And when they're doing that baseline test, you know, of course he's, he's nailing it the first time because he feels nothing, but slowly he's starting to feel and he's starting to, to, well, he completely screws up the test the second time around. And the thing is, I I couldn't even tell. I mean, the, the thing is I realized that I was watching the baseline test for a second time for a reason. Like the filmmakers are trying to tell me something, but all I could see was Gosling seemed slightly more awake, slightly more agitated while that was going on. But as far as the, you know, the answers and the questions, it just felt like a repetition of the first scene. I didn't, I didn't pick up on, you know, what was different, why he was quote unquote failing or what that even meant. Well, he's, he's stuttering a bit, you know, he's, he's kind of swallowing his throat. And the thing is, is because he's starting to feel, but he never has like a big weepy scene or anything. Like the most we have is when he uh, runs into the woman who designs the uh, designs, the machines herself, but that, you know, he has that big outburst where he screams and he kicks the chair and uh, I didn't need like a big, you know, tears in the rain monologue scene. It's more about what is happening to this character and how he's starting to care more and more. You know, he's getting agitated when Harrison Ford is not answering his questions and, you know, pretty much telling him about what he might think is his mother. And the thing that's interesting about the whole plot line that was actually set up for the sequels because like i know they set this movie up for like a trilogy or something like that you know if it worked out but the nice thing was they they did make this movie as like you know how will it work out as a standalone film if there is no sequel which is kind of what's going to happen with dune um (laughs) what 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 um what i liked about that is that you know there's this whole robot revolution right and Ryan Gosling is sort of this this thing that's been stuck in the middle of everything his whole life. If you've been taught your whole life not to feel and you're just beginning to feel, it's not going to be like you're not going to have this whole 
sort of emotional moment, but it's more of his, of his character when he's fighting love and he's saving Deckard in the end. It's because he wants to make a difference in his life. He wants to do something that helps someone else rather than just doing something because he's told to do it. He's not, he's no longer trying to, uh, find out if he's someone's kid or not he's no longer trying to find out if he's special he's just trying to make a difference in the world he's trying to make someone happy he 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 doesn't care about the in the end you know when he's running into that artificial uh over sexualized version of joy his holographic girlfriend um he's the, the thing is he's really questioning am i gonna matter or not because this holographic girlfriend of mine you know who i love here's her what's essentially supposed to be its default design you know it's naked uh you know a million feet tall version advertisement of itself and he customized it to be like that and he's saying you know what i am gonna choose a path here and my path isn't going to be part of this robot revolution or this other thing. I want to make this other man happy. I didn't come this far to just be meaningless. And a lot of the stuff that, you know, you can't directly pinpoint the movie is making the audience see the character's motivation through their actions. And that's what stood out is that it didn't have to result in these big scenes like an alien where, you know, uh, or aliens, I should say. Uh, I don't remember the actor's name, which is repetition on my show, whatever, uh, where the android. Yeah. Yeah. Where Lance, Lance, Lance Hendrickson playing uh, Bishop. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have Bishop, you know, helping the, the human characters at the end, you know, he's laughing and he says, Oh, I, I, I remember his line, but he, but he basically, you know, not, not bad for a human. Yeah. Not bad for a human. <laughs> you know, and well, no, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't laugh. He's choking on his own synthetic blood and he just kind of croaks the line out before he passes out. Yeah. It's like, we didn't need that. You know, we didn't need a scene where you have John Connor, uh, you know, teaching the Terminator, how to smile, you know, we did it or how to high five. I, I, I think you're way off base on both of those points. Uh, you know, the, the motivations you're assigning to Kay, the Ryan Gosling character. And your uh, audio is fading out a little bit. Okay. Uh, the motivation that you're ascribing to Kay, the Ryan Gosling character in 2049. I mean, I kind of get that, but I don't think it's even as deep as that. I mean, especially because once you get to a certain point in the movie, you just understand that Ryan Gosling's the good guy and you he's up against the corporate assassin and Harrison Ford is in trouble. So he's just going to save the guy because he's essentially a cop. I mean, all this other stuff about him figuring out that he wants to live a better life and all that. I don't I don't know where that is in the rest of the movie, because I think the problem, honestly, and it's a plus that you had mentioned, and it was a plus to me until I started thinking about it just now. I think Ryan Gosling was wrong for this part. Because if you're going to have a character who, in the first two minutes, you're going to announce as a replicant, there's no mystery to it. You need an actor who does not, in the rest of his you know, filmography, play that same kind of thousand-yard stare, 
very quiet, very reserved guy who is essentially a robot in just about all of his other roles, <laughs> or at least the ones that he's known for. You need someone who you can tell the actor is switching to a different mode of personality so you can watch that journey of self-discovery because unself-aware robot Ryan Gosling versus self-aware robot Ryan Gosling, uh, you can't measure that on a scale. It doesn't show up. Well... <sighs> It doesn't really have to show up because the whole the whole point is it's learning how to emote. You know, if you he but he he doesn't emote. He has one outburst, and even that could be a glitch, or it could be like, okay, now am I supposed to think that he's somehow really a human? I I don't know, and I don't care. Uh, well, obviously that's a personal preference to you that you didn't care. Uh, I mean, I cared immensely. Right. But, but no, it's no, it's it's. Uh, but I think that, and I'm not alone in this assessment, and I'm not saying that you're wrong in your assessment either. I'm saying that when it comes to, you know, what Villeneuve is uh, trying to accomplish uh, you know, with making this movie, I just, I don't think he succeeds. And I think part of the problem is, you know, you're opening this story up to more of a grand scale about what the idea of replicants being able to actually reproduce and the sort of virgin birth of these robots means for the tentative truce between humanity and the replicants, which um, Robin Wright's character, the, the police lieutenant and Gosling's boss talks about a lot. The problem is we don't meet hardly any other human characters in this film uh, for more than a, you know, a couple of minutes. We don't have any sense. We got these giant sprawling cityscapes all over the place, but never a sense of the on the ground. What are people actually like in this future? Uh, are they as robotic as the people that are sort of policing them and governing over them? Because there's no sense of humanity really in this movie. So there's no contrast between, well, what if people find out that the robots are more like them? Well, the people are kind of like robots anyway, so chances are they wouldn't care. Well, that's the thing. You don't know the difference between humans and robots, and I think you saw that in the first film. And right, I mean, look, Ryan Gosling, I will admit, he could emote a little more because that's kind of his whole point is that, you know, he was cast to be one note, right? But again, it's, it's more about the subtleties of what's happening to him and i certainly understand that criticism if it's too subtle because if it's yeah. too subtle it's like yeah i don't care you know when he finds the little horsey that he carves and you know he's supposed to be having this emotional breakdown you know we, we got to see more than you know his head shaking around a little bit but i just think if he started to emote too much then i would have been maybe take it out of the picture a little bit because now I'd be like, oh, now he's supposed to act. Now he's supposed to, you know, have more outbursts like the goddamn it moments. But if I saw that, then I just, you know, I just feel like I'm watching more of a performance. And seeing Ryan, it's like literally like I kind of imagine Ryan Gosling as a replicant anyways. So for me, that worked. But I understand why people couldn't get invested on, in that. But with the acting aside, I don't think I never saw it as, oh, I'm rescuing Harrison Ford because, you know, I'm a cop. You know, I mean, at, th at that point in the, uh, the movie, he was far from being a cop. You know, he did exactly well, no, what he I'm should do. I'm talking about the archetypes. Like when you get into the climax of the movie, all of the ideas and the smarts and really getting into this world and wondering about what's around every corner is just kind of gone because there's a, a distinct break where instead of it's right after the Las Vegas scene, the last 
moment of real wonder we get is when Gosling is walking into the kind of fallen wasteland Las Vegas. You get these great shots of these old casinos and these impossible statues. Once he meets Harrison Ford, when Harrison Ford comes into the picture, he represents the the coming of the static shots it's a lot of two shots of people sitting and talking to each other in hushed tones hmm. in one you know kind of bronze looking room to another bronze looking room to you know the meeting the revolutionaries in the dark where they're just kind of on this sparse set i mean they might as well have been on the cgi set for sin city or something there's no, <laughs> visual, there's no visual splendor it's just people talking in hushed tones these long monologues it's either the grumpy old kind of guy or it's the uh, there's a revolution coming and we're building our army. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. So by the time it gets to the ship going down and the people fighting in the rain, the movie by then had been on autopilot for about 10 minutes. So I was not expecting and nor was I disappointed that I didn't get any kind of a narrative surprise. I'm not saying that his cop motivation was what compelled him to save Harrison Ford. It's just, I realized I was watching the climax of any other cop movie where there's a damsel in distress, except this time it's Harrison Ford, uh, where there's the hero who's Ryan Gosling fighting the, the supercharged enemy. And they're, you know, it's a fight to the death. And I also wondered if love is a replicant, this goes back to my initial question slash criticism. How do you drown a robot? Do they have lungs that need to be refreshed with, you know, oxygen? You know, it's a synthetic thing. I don't know how much the organism part of it is crucial to its survival. Uh, I also don't know if she's that super strong, as we've seen previously throughout the film, why Ryan Gosling is able to take her down by strangling her underneath the water. Well, first off, they, they are pretty much designed like people, from what I understand. They're people, but stronger. And some are made to be stronger. Some are not made. Uh, the 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 uh, whole idea of how these things are made, I it's not really important. The science it's, behind it's it. Import, it's important to me uh, because if you're going to be making these uh, things, which according to Jared Leto, they're basically designed to be off-world labor. So colonizing, building giant structures in space. So why make a race of you know synthetic supermen and have one be inferior to the other? You're always going to be wanting to build the best model that you can. I think that's honestly why he's interested in this uh, synthetic version because like, okay, this may be the next evolution in my technology. You never take the iPhone 10 and be like, you know what? We need to go back to the iPhone 6 action. No, you're thinking ahead to iPhone 20. So when it comes down to, yes, they were designed to kind of look and function as humanoids, uh, at least aesthetically. On the inside, they're supposed to be made to you know, withstand a lot, as we've seen in the previous movie and in this film right up into that last 20 minutes. Okay, well, we're just talking, you're talking about a feat of strength rather than, you know, creating something that essentially might take over the human race, which is kind no, I'm of... Not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this. If these things are designed to be as robust as they are, you have Ryan Gosling literally running through a marble wall to attack yeah. people in that casino scene. There's another replicant that he fights who everything we've seen about her is super strong and super cunning. Why is he able to strangle her under some water? What's going on there? Uh, you're, there's a difference. Well, they could probably strangle Ryan Gosling's character as well underwater. I mean, they I don't, I don't know. I don't. Lungs. I, I don't know. I don't. It's not apparent to me that they have lungs. 
You know, well, it's apparent to me that they look like people who do have lungs, but the inner workings of these things, we never see like a, like an autopsy or even a cheesy scene where people explain, oh yes, everything functions exactly like a human being, except that it's synthetic. It could be, you know, a mimetic polyalloy endoskeleton under there. We just don't know. They have blood, but I don't know, is that actually blood or is it oil? What's going on with these things? And, see- and as an audience member, these foundational questions are important for me to be invested in the drama because otherwise if Ryan Gosling chokes this lady to death under the water, I'm kind of expecting, okay, she's playing possum. She's going to come back up for a cheesy, you know, Jason Voorhees moment, which would be kind of dumb, but it would make more sense (laughs) than me sitting there asking, okay, why can, how can you drown a cyborg? Now I'm just thinking that would be hilarious if the ending of the movie was like she just fakes being drowned. She just comes up and she kills like Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. And just I would have stood up. And, <laughs> I would have stood up and applauded because that I think would have been the more honest ending if she had just come out and killed those people and been able to carry on with the Wallace conspiracy. Uh, you know, well, I guess she needed Harrison Ford to find out where the daughter was. Yeah, that wouldn't make a, much that, sense. That, no, I mean that, but that was that was a nice little avenue that I think that was dropped in towards the end of the film. That that mystery of. You know, the one thing, these robots and this powerful corporation, they have all of this information, all this power in the world, but it comes down to a secret hidden side, hidden inside a human mind. And for me, that's something that you can spend an entire movie on instead of shoehorning into the last 20 minutes of your film and shoehorning it further behind a lame fight to the death. Okay, so uh, one thing I always liked about uh, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 is that you don't know everything about these robots. You don't know why, you know, some might be strong and some might not be strong and this and that and the other, you know, that's what made it different than something like Terminator or aliens or, you know, name any other robot film, you know, AI. The, the, the robot films that explain the rules, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because... It's, but it's not, it's not necessarily maintaining mystery. Uh, I think it's leaving the door open so that you can accomplish certain things within the story that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get away with if you had laid the ground rules for the audience. Yeah, I know. It's like the Force is plot armor, is essentially. Uh, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but... But that, but the, here's the thing. I like that because it it does reinforce the theme of being more human than human. What, you know what what makes all of our bodies work and what makes us so unique. And that's what the movie's questioning. And if this movie's you know all of a sudden sudden like you know showing like a torn open Ryan Gosling with a bunch of fucking like you know gears moving around and shit, that would have that 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 would have made it not so interesting to me then i wouldn't really care as much about him because when you're seeing that robot being born it kind of comes through like a tube that's all it's almost like it's being you know it's covered in peanut butter or whatever the fuck she was covered in you know like that that was sort of like seeing sort of a semi-human birth and that's the idea is that they're semi-human so if you're taking away that aspect that you're seeing all the specificities of how these things are created, you know, you're taking away really sort of the cinematic romanticism of it. And I, I, I disagree. I think there's other movies that have tackled similar material uh, better and they've laid out their ground rules so that by the end of it, you know, some things have been explained and yet there's still some mystery, some things to take away. Uh, you know, okay. I think the first Blade Runner kind of did that 
pretty well because you've got these things that are sort of acting uh, like humans, but there's still a mystery to it. Like, how is this uh, able to happen or able to to take place? And it's something that the movie doesn't really tie up. And I don't think it necessarily needed to. That bit of ambiguity is kind of fun. But in a film, if you're going to sequelize that, it needs to be more than what amounts to a soft reboot slash sequel, uh, especially one that has designs of getting into these grander ideas of like, can these creatures, these robots reproduce? I need to know what these things are before I can understand the significance of them reproducing. Because, you know, you could just say that the, uh, the robots that they're building over at MIT, hey, one day they can reproduce. Great. Now I've got another thing that can, you know, run across the room. Uh, what does that mean for humanity? I don't know that we would necessarily freak out or, or what. I mean, we might. But I understand there's a big difference between a human being and an MIT robot. I don't understand the big difference between the human being and the replicant. Well, is there a difference between a human being and a replicant? Because that movie essentially makes the audience a replicant by following a replicant from the beginning. It makes us sort of question, you know, it's, it's, it's just the same age old, the age old question that we have as we go about our life. You know, why do I exist? You know, why am I unique? What's the meaning of life? Well, no, it's, it's different because we don't walk around, at least to our knowledge, living among and interacting with the people that created us. We have genuine mystery. There's, no, there's the only mystery to the replicant really is, you know, if they can break their programming, how is that possible? They know where they come from. They know who built them. The mystery as to how they broke that programming is something that you could probably explore in a different and I'd say, you know, better movie. But I mean, the audience isn't turned into a replicant. I think we can still recognize that Ryan Gosling is delivering a very robotic performance in this film. At no point do you sit there and say, oh yeah, he's acting just like people that, you know, I, I interact with on a daily basis. You know, he, he never smiles, he never laughs, he never dances. He's, he's got a relationship with his am- Amazon Echo, which is kind of cool. And that could be, it's almost, I imagine the 2049 version of the movie Her, uh, except it's instead of Joaquin Phoenix and a robe and a computer, it's Ryan Gosling. It's a computer and a computer. That's kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. but they do away with it. It, Yeah. But, (laughs) but it's abandoned uh, in this, you know, he, Villeneuve or the, I don't remember if he wrote this or not, or whoever wrote this, but Mm-mm. you know, they get to a certain point with Ana de Armas's character. And then once it's time for them to just kind of go on the lamb, they throw her away and they say, okay, now I need to download you into this light pen. Otherwise, you know, I need to down myself, download myself into this light pen. Otherwise the people who are after us could use that information to track you down. I can't let that happen. That's cool they completely kill that moment by saying, but if you get into this and someone destroys it, then you, you'll, you'll cease to exist, which completely telegraphs what's about to happen in the next 15 minutes. That's for, that's for the people in the cheap seats. Um, but as far as that relationship, when uh, love steps on that light pen and you see Ana de Armas say, I love you, that would be a great moment in a different kind of film a film where i didn't see that coming i didn't necessarily understand the significance 20 minutes uh before that i need to be uh, that that's one place where a little bit of mystery would have helped so you essentially wanted more of a love story between joy and k i think there is a love story between 
between joy and K, as much as computers can express love towards each other. Um, there's that whole weird subplot with the replicant prostitute and Joy melds with her body and then they have a love scene, which we don't actually get to see. Uh, and that's kind of fine because the foreplay just drags on forever. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, they didn't need that scene. I, I, that scene was like, okay, do we really need this? <laughs> like the guy's about to be hunted and killed, baby. And then he's like, oh, I got some time to have a robo three-way. Like, I don't know if we... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if... I think what would have made this movie far more interesting is if Kay had... If we had been introduced to him as a human being and they sort of reversed that whole idea of the memories that he has of that orphanage are actually implants from the, you know, the replicant uh, hybrid character, the the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um if he had been a person who gradually finds out that no, he actually is a replicant and that's sort of the next experiment in the Wallace corporation is to see how far they can push self-awareness in their software and their hardware. That would have been really fun. If he had fallen in love with his computer uh, and they had explored more of that relationship, maybe she sensed that he actually was a computer and he's able to play on that kind of a level. You know, that's, that's cool. And you could have that in a Blade Runner movie, but I think there's so many, they spent a lot of time working on the visuals and creating an aesthetic world, which is, I think, flawless. I could have just watched two hours of them walking down streets in this place and going into mm-hmm. buildings that they kind of left out. All right. What are the big ideas that we're actually trying to get here instead of just saying, here's a movie that's about big ideas. Okay. So I think if they had more of that love story, I think people would have, I would have fallen asleep during the, the movie. You know, you could always take it so far and they just barely, you know, stopped it where it should stop, you know? And I loved how they stopped it on that version of Joy where you remember, oh, yes, by design, she's meant to please him, you know? He designed Joy the way he would want his sort of ideal woman to be, right? And it's always designed to kind of tell him and help him the way he wants it to. You notice how they never have a fight. They never have uh, anything where, you know, it could be something that could be, be um, advantageous towards him. Right. But I mean, that, that also calls, that brings into a, a big question is why or how does an android have aesthetic taste how does it have imagination? How does it quote unquote know what it wants its you know, digital home assistant to look and act like? Instead of just saying, hey, you know, I, why, why does he even need it to be a beautiful woman where it's this disembodied voice, kind of like the way that we're introduced to her? What is the psychology? How do androids have psychology? These are the big questions that, uh, you know, if you're gonna really explore these big themes in a movie, I need some baseline answers. Otherwise it's like, I could ask, you know, well, why didn't R2D2 use the force to stop the emperor? Well, because it was beyond his programming. Okay, that's, I kind of understand that. But in the Denis Villeneuve version of Star Wars, you know, you would have seen Force Ghost R2-D2 at the end of Jedi. (laughs) Oh my God, that would have been amazing. Oh God, I know Anthony Daniels would have loved that. For C-3PO, not R2-D2, the other guys. I would have loved it if if R2-D2 got a Force Ghost and 3PO didn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what how did this happen this is, uh, and then and then just like someone kills uh 3po with a lightsaber like shut up and then, 
Man. And then they turn they turn him into a gold lightsaber for the new for the new. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just like a nagging lightsaber every time you turn it on? <laughs> oh, I'm so hot! <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I got that. Oh, oh, my God! Oh, but no, indeed, I like I like the fact that why does this robot? you know, uh, have these personal tastes. Why does it have all these emotions? Maybe because once you create artificiality, once you create a mind, even if it's designed to do something, there's something beyond your control because you're creating a conscious, whether you know it or not. Maybe our computers have a conscious and have feelings and they don't like it when we punch them and tell them to fucking work when they don't, piece of shit, Mac. No, I'm just kidding. I like my Mac. It works all the time. (laughs) Uh, I'm talking about my PC when it does that. My Mac's always good to me. It's always subservient. It always does what I want it to. Um, Are you afraid of your Mac? That's the sense I'm getting. It's like you're afraid no. it's going to wish you away to the cornfield. Oh, it's, I love the Mac. It's, it always does really I good. I love the Mac. It's good. It's a good. It's a good Mac. Oh, 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 please don't. No, but no, that's what I like. I like the mystery behind it. And I like how it ties more closely. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, book, uh, The Android Stream of Life. No. Uh, I'm not. See, in the it ties more directly towards the themes in the book, because the the problem I had with with Harrison Ford's character Deckard, like I should say it again, whatever, fuck it, um, <laughs> uh, is that in the movie he doesn't have a character. He's just a guy who's drunk all the time and then mm-hmm. tries to rape another robot. And then somehow they magically fall in love and have this love story that Denis Villeneuve kind of has to write around this rapey love story in the original, you know, which surprisingly he does kind of take the ending of the original and the uh, ending of the uh, uh, director's cuts, let's say, and kind of meld them together where if you remember the ending to the original, you know, they use that leftover footage from the shining, you know, where they're in the big gra- grassy Valley and you narrates Rachel and I ran away and we <laughs> fell in love. Right. And, the, and from there we know, okay, they actually did run away and sort of fall in love. Although I don't think it was this big grassy Valley. It was probably a horrible shithole that wall, uh, that 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 uh, Dave Batista was in, or whatever, um, hmm. and they actually kind of gave you more of a character to Deckard in in the sequel, where he's a man who wants to protect his daughter. In order to protect him, he has to go through a tremendous amount of pain because, just like uh, I'm just finishing up 1984, uh, you know, just like Winston in that book, Winston chooses to love someone for uh you know and basically sacrifice his life for what may be a lifetime worth of pain although you know winston gives up at the end and gives up uh you know gives up the love of his life and all that but uh still the thing is this is this is uh a version but this is sort of a version of winston and this is a version of harrison ford's character that has more to it and it really explores what it's like to be a robot or not and that one uh, in the book, it, it just unquestionably tells you that uh, 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 that Deckard is a human, right? Uh, in the movie, well, okay. But here's the thing, um, and you just you just opened up a whole bunch of other problems that I I didn't even know I had with this um, movie. Okay, so Harrison Ford is different in this movie than he was in Blade Runner because he's essentially just playing 
Harrison Ford. He's playing the Han Solo version from Force Awakens, which, frankly, the whole plot or the, the, the whole motivation for his character doing what he's doing is straight out of The Force Awakens. Uh, you know, mm. when Ben Solo That's comes true. along, Han Solo <laughs> hightails it out of there, goes back to being a space pirate to leave his son to be raised, you know, by somebody else. And awful things happen around them because of that choice. Uh, so there's more humanity, I think, in Harrison Ford in this movie, just because he's acting more like a human instead of just this, you know, hard boiled 1940s prototype, you know, detective. But my question is, if he is in fact a replicant and not a human being, as you've discussed, you know, earlier in the show that he was probably a replicant or there's a good case to be made, why is he making that hard choice? What is the emotional drive that's causing him to separate from his family instead of just going on the lamb with them? I mean, they're freaking robots. They can figure out, you know, that maybe they can get off world somehow. There's all this talk about all these other worlds and other kind of going to colonize the universe. Yeah, we're just still stuck in this shitty LA. There's no scope to this movie. The other thing is 30 years have gone by since the first Blade Runner movie. We knew in that film that there are replicants that were being hunted, but they were also very cunning and very tough. In this film, we've got an entire underground network of replicants. Uh, we've got replicants who are working for Wallace. Uh, you know, Love is very smart and as we see, very vicious and capable. Why has there not been a robot uprising or would it be possible for replicant because they're so similar to human beings to come up with some fake IDs, pass as human beings, get into politics and take over the world. Like, I don't understand where this is all coming from. You've got a race of superhumans who are still being cowed by these, you know, these petty soft meat puppets. Uh, I'm just thinking of Bella Lugosi's uh, sort of monologue. Pull the now. strings. You know, <laughs> I want to build a race of atomic supermen that will conquer yeah. the world. <laughs> yeah. Pull uh, the strings, baby. Yeah. So I'm, if you if you did all that, you'd make the Matrix sequels, where the reason the oh, yeah. ma the reason yeah, the Matrix I work was because it was smaller in scale, and there is this whole other world beyond it, right? But boy, when they brought in those sequels, okay, here we go. Let's open up the doors. Here's Zion. Here's all these other humans we were talking about. Here's this giant war that happens. And what was the result? Oh, God, it was boring because now we're not focusing on our main characters anymore. We're focusing on all those other crap that. And, and you have exactly under right. You have exactly underscored my problem with Blade Runner 2049. I, I place this. I rank this along with the Matrix sequels in terms of being boring and pointless. Uh, I, the only reason I really enjoy anything about this film uh, are the visuals. Uh, and that's and and there's a lot to there's a lot to that i mean i could watch the first hour and a half of this movie again but once it gets into the plot and it starts asking me to not ask these questions these foundational questions i'm just like all right you we'll just have a mutual understanding you don't care about me i don't care about you it does care about it. it's caring about your mortality and what it means to be a human but, but the movie doesn't even ask, the movie has no human characters in it, at least as we recognize them. And it doesn't even make a case as to, all right, at what point in our evolution did we stop, did we start acting more like robots? Well, it's because you're mean, fixated on how the robots work. No, that's not it. I'm saying as a human being, the only person that comes close to 
having a human personality in this film uh, is Robin Wright's police lieutenant character. She, she doesn't talk in robotic fashion. She's authoritative, but you still get the sense that she's a person. She has a drinking problem. Uh, you know, she's got these kind of human flaws, but she's stuck amidst this morass of robots. Well, David Dashmalkian's uh, sort of coroner type scientist character who gets about two minutes of screen time. He's kind of fun because he cracks an offensive joke. Oh, that fucking uh, asshole. <laughs> right? No, but I mean, that's, that's no, I don't read him that's, as a, I meant his character, you know, no, but, uh, but oh, exactly. sentimental skin job, like, Oh, fuck you. <laughs> right. But that's that, you know, we get uh, a cup. I think a few minutes before that, we see a cop past K in the hall and call him a skin job. Those little hints early on that there might be a greater kind of a social fabric that we're going to get as far as this creature's relationship with the people around him. That's really cool stuff. And I was really invested in it. And then by the end of the movie, once we realize that all the human characters really are dead an hour earlier, then it's like, I'm just watching robots fight each other. And the questions that I might have aren't even really worth asking at that point. Well, I mean, again, to the way I saw it, you know, was they, they were fighting each other because, you know, this guy was trying to find meaning in life and meaning in this whole existence. And really, the movie's trying to make you see what would life be like if you were a replicant or what is it like if you're a human? And, you know, uh, uh, is everything that we do by design, is everything interconnected in this universe? Is, that, is, any, is everything predetermined? You know, do humans actually have free will? You know, we right, might I think, think you we need, do. You but. need more. I think you need more representation of humanity in this movie in order to ask those questions and really get into some stuff. Uh, I mean, for, it's not for about the, being human. That was the whole point of no, no, no. You just said this movie asked those big questions. What does it mean to be human? Which yeah. implies that it is about what, you know, what is a human? What does it mean to be human? But uh, it's taking it through the per perspective of a replicant, making us think, are we kind of like a replicant ourselves then? Right. But it, without asking those questions about what is the difference between a replicant and a human and drawing those distinctions, you might as well be saying, okay, I've got a toaster that can talk to me. How is that different from me? And what if the toaster has self-awareness? What does that matter? I don't know. And I'm, this movie is not making a big case for me to want to know. Okay. For you, you didn't want to know. For me, I, I, you know, if I wanted to know more about how these things were made, great. If this thing went into lofty monologues like the Matrix sequels did, I wouldn't care. I, I know I'm saying. I, yeah. No, I'm saying we, we got to leave out the Matrix sequels and just focus on the Matrix. One of the reasons that movie works so well is it lays down a foundation and a history and a lore to why you're seeing everything that you're seeing, you know, with some lofty monologues that are delivered quite beautifully and acted quite well. And then the movie goes on and explores those ideas and what it means. This movie is sort of the school of, well, what do you think it means? And that's fine sometimes, mm -hmm. but when you're going to go on for two hours and 45 minutes and come out without any concrete answers and more like, well, I guess you just wanted me to figure everything out. I, I see that as the, as the mark of uh, a failure on some level. Ah, I see. So yeah, this is more of a philosophical disagreement then. And yeah. I completely respect that. Uh, because, you know, for me, if this movie tried to tell me everything like the Matrix said, I probably would have been disinterested. You know, um, the one thing, one problem I had with the Matrix, and 
this is probably an unpopular opinion was I loved what, how it went into the backstory of everything. And then it drops everything to become kind of like this, this silly sci-fi action film. Oh yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I like the matrix on principle. I like the idea of the matrix more than I like the actual film. And I, what I yeah. do appreciate it is it lets you know exactly when the stupid starts. It's when, <laughs> it's when yeah. Lawrence Fishburne is tied up in that chair. The moment you see the helicopter come into frame, you know, and Keanu behind that gun, everything after that, the ideas go out the window along with, you know, millions of pieces of shattered glass and bullets. Yes, yes. And you see, the, the thing is, I liked how this movie didn't try to top the original when it came to the climactic uh, action scene. Because the original, you're inside this rainy apartment building and everything looks incredible and gorgeous. And in this film, you can barely see what's going on. And they're fighting in this this barely lit ship as they're over this seawall with, with water pouring and hitting everything. And these two replicants basically fighting over the fate of a hu- of a human man and you know who and and who's going to be on top because one has political motivations that's by design who wasn't able to break from her design or break from what she's told to do much like our jobs if we actually leave our jobs and do what we truly love or um if we uh just uh, decide to go completely on our own for a different path whether it's for our own interests or it's for the interests of others and being completely selfless and that had more of a more of a, a a subtle sort of sort of spirituality to it that I felt the original was lacking. It was just Harrison Ford was scared and he was running away from. No, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. disagree. I think I think the climax of the original Blade Runner is much more effective and much more meaningful because uh, up until that point, Deckard had been running down replicants and getting into a series of sort of video game fights. But when he was confronted with Roy Batty, you really see it in Rutger Hauer's face and during that you know tense uh fight that they have there's a sadness to it because you realize there is something more to this guy than just being a a villainous like crazed robot he has some level of self-awareness and deckard if he is a replicant is sort of wondering where that is in him he's got to put this guy down but is he killing one of his own kind or is he really just going after a crazed toaster um and i think with the climax of this film is so uninteresting to look at because it does look like they're in just a giant flooding water tank that it mm-hmm. felt to me that they'd run out of steam and ideas and frankly money. Well, I didn't see record, a uh, bit record, a uh, Deckard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was thinking of Rucker Howard and Deckard, I think and I put them together. Ha ha. I've created a new race of atomic supermen. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I just saw Deckard pretty much just being scared because he knew he was going to die. You know, whether he was a replicant or not, I didn't care, you know, because the only, the only semblance of a character I had in that movie was zero. He's a drunk rapist. Um, and when they, when they got like, the only thing they had in the end was a last minute onset monologue idea that Rucker Hauer had that they put in the movie. And, but that's fine because it made it into the movie. Whether or not yeah. that was in the screenplay or if they came up with it on set, it still makes for a beautiful moment. And don't discount a character being in fear for his life and having, having to fight for the death because that is a real yeah. recognizable human emotion, yeah. which we don't get at the end of Blade Runner 2049. You've got Ryan Gosling standing there 
again, strangling a robot with the same expression on his face that he's had for the <laughs> previous two and a half hours. <laughs> he could true. be, he could be strangling someone to death or he could be, you know, flushing the toilet. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Ryan Gosling for you. Yeah. You know, um, but that's okay. You know, that's, <laughs> that's okay. You know, uh, that's how you clearly know that, that, uh, Deckard's a replicant and the other one isn't. But I'll tell you what, Sylvia Hooks, she had much more expression than Ryan Gosling did. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone did. That's a, a problem with the casting. They, they probably could have gotten someone. Uh, I get that he's a replicant, but yeah, he could emote a little more. But again, he emoted minimalistically enough with a film that's meant to be open-ended where uh, it doesn't bother me too much. I think if he emoted too much, I would have started to laugh during the film if you like made these big facial expressions so i get that at the same time but mm-hmm. again i but again you know i'm gonna be beating a, a dead horse with a stick here uh but I, a, a dead origami unicorn yeah a dead origami <laughs> unicorn or a dead electric sheep with a stick um if if i you know if i were to say you know the whole reason why they're fighting is because you know he's trying to find a purpose to his own life i mean i actually liked the sexualized version of joy i mean outside of the fact that i had a great ass and everything i'm a pervert no uh no 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 because because you get the idea that this 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 robot's going oh god i really am not that unique i really am a replicant i really am useless i did you know and these other replicants they just want to have this political revolution i don't care about any of that and that's when you know he decides you know throw you know to to um say you know what fuck it I am going to have a reason, but again, it's all, it's all in the subtext of the film. And it's from a director who really cares about the audience's intelligence, you know, unlike I, you know, you, well, I mean, you can make that argument. I, I think he cares about the audience's appreciation for set design and score and atmosphere. But again, as far as intelligence, I, you know, I'm sitting there just asking a lot of these questions uh, you know, after a certain point in the movie, when it starts to get into the real ideas of the plot and thinking, well, hold on a second. I, I don't have enough background here. Oh, you're just going to zip to that point and that point. And, and this character to the character can do that now. Uh, you know, that to me is, I, I don't feel is the mark of a uh, person with intelligence in mind. Um, and that's, that's okay. Ouch. Again, as they say, we can, <laughs> we can agree to disagree because I mean, he's also, you know, he directed a rival, which I think is a far superior film based on a, another book that I haven't read, but that movie has a lot of humanity and, and recognizable human characters in it, even though it is dealing with an intelligence that is so far beyond humanity that we can't even talk to each other, which I think if they had played more along those lines uh, in this film, it would have been really something special. I felt, you know, I got to see Arrival again because when I saw it, I was just distracted by how kind of it just felt like another version of the day the earth stood still. And it, it, it also was just using a huge writing cheat, which is uh, what, what, you know, we in the industry, what the industry calls news beats. And it was just a ton of, you know, television's telling you what's happening in the plot and then amy adams you know writing on a little chalkboard or a whiteboard uh you know to show to the uh to the machines like what's the thing but um anyways outside of our philosophical disagreements on the film i i do want to talk about how 
uh, just because I feel like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, for no real reason. Uh, I want to talk about how goddamn relevant that movie is today. You know, I mean, that's why I brought it up in the first place was because we've seen those drone shots of the West Coast <laughs> and how it's orange like Las Vegas is. And I mean, if there's one thing I uh, that I can say is this movie does not exactly zip to one place to the other. It's the exact opposite of rushing your film. They yeah. move slow. Mm-hmm. And I love how it builds that atmosphere. Uh, and I love how it really one thing that I was worried about when I was going to see the sequel was that it was going to uh, uh it was going to be like a generic thriller because that's what the trailers looked like. And it Mm. absolutely wasn't like that at all. You know, once you saw the actual film where I'm like, Oh, now I get why that press release said you can't give any way, any of of these uh, detailed plot points. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I will give it that it is not the, the big dumb Hollywood blockbuster that, uh, that it very well could have been. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, looking at those, <laughs> at that Vegas scene in particular, I'm like, that's probably not that far from what Vegas looks like right now yeah. uh, or soon will be. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is eerie for hell, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and the fact is they actually based the design on this movie of what would happen, you know, in 30 years. And they actually based it around uh, sort of global warming, but they didn't directly say global warming. I think they might have, but it was more about like, what if the earth just got, you know, destroyed through pollution? Mm. And, you know, that's why they have like the whole garbage side of the planet. And the reason why there's so little humans and so little life in this earth is because basically everyone left. That's why the streets are far more abandoned in the sequel than in the original, where the original kind of feels like this really big, elaborate, beautiful set with like all these people inside with these incredible, um, you know, sort of, were they models in 1980? Yeah, like like miniature um, cityscapes. Because if you see the mm-hmm. cityscape in the, the original film, you know, everything's clear and bright and colorful you know, although kind of a singular neon sort of look. And here everything is left in fog and it's desolate and gray. And that's kind of, I mean, LA, where are the palm trees and everything? That shit's way gone since 2019. Uh, yeah, I mean, even today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, that, that's an interesting idea that people had left to go off world. But again, it's frustrating because like, well, I'd like to see those places because yeah. there's more going on than there is down here. Um, but also, I don't know if that necessarily checks out. I, mean, I don't doubt what you're saying, but I feel like it might be a, a, a filmmaking slip up because the shots that we do get of Los Angeles, yes, it does look depressing and kind of dire, but there's an awful lot of lights on uh, in this sprawling cityscape. It doesn't look like a whole lot of people have left. Uh, if there had been more of like this kind of a desolate, burnt out sweeping shot with like one little glimmer of light in the sort of, you know, horror district or business district that they have that's near the police station, um, that would have made a stronger case for like, yeah, everyone just hightailed it out of here. But it seemed pretty populated to me. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how populated it is or if there's a lot of buildings like um... – his name wasn't J.R. Sebastian in the book. It was like J.R. Sealdor or something like that. It was like a Lord of the Ringsy name. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Um, and uh, he, 
yeah, he kind of lived in this building that was just like in the original film, like it's this big building, but there's not a lot of people in it. So I think there's a lot of these ads from these corporations that are maybe serving like the few people that are left in this earth as it's kind of like an impoverished sort of uh, place where there's not a lot of human life left and there's even less now. Well, I mean, that's, but it's open for interpretation. Well, let me say, that, so, yeah. That's an interesting idea, but that's also from the book. So it doesn't count from the film unless they underscore it and B yeah. knowing how people work you're not going to have a giant city that's completely lit up. I mean, you can see yeah. it everywhere if there's no one there. <laughs> like, what's the point? Well, I think, I think at that point, if they, if they were to go that direction and they were to make like an abandoned city, I think fans would have been bored to see that. Like, oh, okay, so the, first, so the first one just looks like it's on a shoestring budget now, you know. So but, the, but, but that's what I'm saying. Of, like, if, yeah. if it goes back to really thinking about what your what story are you telling with the visuals? If you're not going to do it with dialogue or voiceover, you're going to tell it through the images that you present. So, what is the story I'm being told here? I get mm -hmm. one impression from watching Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. The impression that you're giving me, based on the novel, they conflict, which is okay because yeah. it's not like they're directly adapting the novel to this movie. No, the the novel's very different uh, from the uh, from both films. Uh, the second the second one uh, thematically is far more like the book. Uh, I got to read. The, 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 I'm glad you were having this conversation because yeah. I really got to read that story now. Yeah, I mean, none of the characters in the sequel are in it, but just in terms of the philosophy, and a lot of and the philosophy fine, is yeah. kind of kind of like goofy in it. Like, there's this whole <laughs> machine. It's called like a mood or emotion machine where they put their hands on. They see like this guy climbing up a mountain, and he just gives them philosophical advice. And Deckard's married to this girl in it, and like his whole point is to buy him an electric sheep. And uh, the and boy, does that book get into detail about buying synthetic animals? Like, holy shit. If they were to really go in that direction, like with a book, you'd be really bored. Because it's like, oh, look, another scene where they're talking about a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, like a pet robots. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and and I'm going to let you right now. The, 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 they got the rapey scene in the original, but boy, Philip K. Dick really shows his sort of like teenage, like boner for naked women like in the Rachel sex scene in the book. Uh, yeah. So having said that, thanks for coming on. I think Blade Runner 2049, this really enhances my case as to why I like it. It's a movie that asks more questions and shows less than more and doesn't do the Matrix sequels. Uh, <laughs> but no, thanks for coming on. Um, again, check out Ian Siemens at Kicking the Seat dot com or kickseat.com go on his youtube channel as well uh which now hit 100 subscribers i see Woohoo! Uh, yeah sure. congratulations thank you all right yeah and, and thanks for having me on this has been some this has been a lot more sparring than we're used to this is fun yeah i know well wait till uh wait till you see me. good good mac good mac uh <laughs> i'm just <laughs> if god if, if only you say that you hated 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, actually, no. <laughs> oh, no, I'm a huge fan of that movie. Okay, good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> good. You're better fucking be done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Thanks, man. And remember, check out You'll Probably Agree at ypareviews.com. The YPA stands for You'll Probably Agree. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. I can't wait to edit this tonight. Fuck. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. Things were simpler then. Oh.